market. The S&P. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast where we're not afraid to take on RBA governors, federal treasurers and company CEOs and cut through all the BS in the process. I'm Andrew Page and joining me is Scott Phillips. Good Andrew, good day fools, good to be with you. Today, interest rates fall again. Glenn Stevens calls out Treasurer Morrison on government debt and we take a whistle-stop tour through earnings season so far. Which companies are good, bad, and ugly? So, interest rates, probably one of the more popular barbecue conversations, given many of us are laboring under a mortgage or or two or three. Uh, And so, you know, a lot of happy people with the RBA decision to cut rates again. I know I keep saying this, but it's at another historic low, Scott. A post-war low of 1.5%, Andrew, a sort of number that really couldn't have been imagined Think about the 87 stock market crash, the 1990s recession, even the GFC proper. Rates got nowhere near this low, 1.5%, the lowest rate in over 70 years. I've had my old man tell me on more than one occasion about how the interest rates were 17%. Get off my lawn. You know, kind of thing. And it it really is. It's a very different world. But this is good news, right? You've got a mortgage, you're now paying less. Oh, spectacular news if you've got a mortgage, particularly if you've still got a job. The RBA keeps giving you Christmas present after Christmas present after Christmas present. It's still only August. We've had a fantastic run of interest rate cuts. Unfortunately, though, Glenn Stevens isn't just trying to be Santa Claus. There is a real reason behind what's happening here. Well, this is the thing that could be a little bit odd, right? So the, the RBA usually doesn't cut rates when things are fantastic. Yeah. I mean, you've got, to, you've got to look at the reasons behind this. Um, but it's a little bit odd. We talked not long ago, when you look at the major economic indicators, mm-hmm. Australia's in pretty good shape. Oh, that's, you know what, and this is, this is, economics is tough. You know, you don't get to be the RBA governor just because you won something in the back of a cornflakes packet. Glenn Stevens okay. has got to look at the, yeah. exactly, uh, nor can we toss coins. Glenn Stevens has got to look at the entire economic situation. But you know what? Here's the thing. Most analysis, frankly, most people look at the RBA rate cuts and they look backwards and they say, well, here's where the economy is at. Either it needs to cut, it doesn't need to cut, it needs to go up, whatever, whatever mm. your view is. Mm. Glenn Stevens' job is not to work out what's going on now. He knows full well, history shows us, that interest rate cuts and rises don't impact people for three, six, even nine months. So Stephen's got to get the old crystal ball out a little bit, look forward six or nine months and say, where's the economy going to be by then? Is that good? Is it bad? Is it indifferent? What do I need to do as RBA governor to put the economy in the best place by the time we get there? So he's looking now out to April, May, June next year and saying, is everything in the right spot or do I need to do something? He decided he needed to cut rates. So you're telling me that the the one of the leading economic thinkers and and actors on the Australian stage mm-hmm. is worried about Australia. He's he's basically thinking, you know, things are going to get worse. We need to get ahead of this. I think that's almost true. Okay. We're in a situation where Glenn Stevens is saying, given the balance of probabilities and given where rates are now, Am I better to hold or cut rates to put us in the best position come April, May next year? Mm. So he's not necessarily saying things are going to be terrible by then. What he's saying is, on balance, is the economy better or worse if I cut rates today? And what he looked at and said, okay, well, there are some risks on the the global and local stage. Mm. The economy is not exactly firing on all cylinders, but it's doing pretty well. Mm. He's really kind of looking at going, well, if I do cut rates, what's the worst that can happen? If I don't cut rates, what's the worst that can happen? Mm. And comparing those two, what should I do? So he's not cutting rates because he feels like he necessarily has to, that if he didn't cut rates, everything would go to hell in a handbasket. Mm. Maybe he is, but he's probably not. He's looking at, looking at it saying, well, if I hold rates, well, you know, there is the chance that things might get worse. So if I hold and don't cut, then maybe I'm setting the economy up for some problems. Conversely, if I do cut, 
it's not going to create any negative outcomes. There's no bad news from a rate cut. Mm. So on balance, he's saying I'm better off cutting than not cutting just to make sure we don't fall in a hole by April or May next year. Well, I guess particularly so, and I guess this, this comes back to the RBA's core mandate, particularly so because inflation is also very, very low. So it gives him the ability to do that. Inflation was running high and you cut rates, you could, you know, it's more fuel for the fire, I suppose. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. You know, the, the economic wonks and... We don't count ourselves amongst those, Andrew, but the economic wonks look at the look at the inflation rate and say, what is the real interest rate? Now, this is a this is a finance podcast, but we're not going to get too far into the weeds. If you're charging one and a half percent for your for your official cash rate, which mm. the RBA is, yep. and inflation running at one percent, mm. the difference between those two, one and a half minus one, your 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 actual real rate is zero point five percent, which is effectively zero. Yeah. Over time though, because inflation is falling, if you leave rates high, the real rate gets larger. Mm. So if you were paying, say, 4%, inflation was 3 you're paying 1%. Mm-hmm. If inflation drops to 1%, your, your real rate goes from 1% to 3 Now, lots of numbers there. In effect, you want to drop rates to keep some relativity between the official cash rate and the inflation rate. And that's exactly, to your point, what's happened more recently. Mm. It's got to make it harder for the RBA, though, when you know they lower rates, but then the banks don't don't come to the party. <laughs> At least they don't come all the way to the party here. So we yeah. know, and it happens again and again and again. Yep. The RBA cuts by a quarter of a, a percent, but mortgage rates don't go down that much. Who'd have thought all four banks doing exactly the same? You know, you'd almost think there was a, no, oh, surely couldn't, <laughs> couldn't, they couldn't be, no, they, no, they wouldn't be colluding. Anyway, look, no, you're right, Andrew. Though that being said, Glenn Stevens has come out and said he didn't expect the banks to pass on in full. But you're right. If, if you're the RBA, you're saying, I think the economy needs a quarter of a point cut. So mm-hmm. you drop rates by 25 basis points, we call them, or 0.25% in, in the real world. Yep. And as that happens, the banks only pass on, what, 0.1 or 0.15. Right. The RBA is giving effectively some back to the banks. They're saying, here, here you go, Westpac, here's, here's a quarter of a point cut in your costs, but you're not going to pass on a fraction of that to your customers. Mm. Fair to say, as an individual borrower, you can, you know, big excuse for feeling a little bit screwed in the process. Um, but, the, you know, the RBA says they knew that. Frankly, the banks have a problem right now. The lower rates go, the more their margins get squeezed. Mm. The reality of banking over cent- decades, centuries probably, the higher rates are, the more margin they can make because mm. consumers just aren't that sensitive to differences. Mm. When the official cash rate's one and a half, you're already giving almost nothing on cash accounts and almost mm. nothing on term deposits. Mm. You've really got nowhere to go in terms of reducing your, bar- your, your lending costs in that case. Yep. But you're, you've got to pass on something to your, to your borrowers. So there is that, that difference there. Banks' margins get squeezed. They don't really have too much choice if they want to maintain profitability. Mm. And frankly, the RBA knew that. So yes, it's annoying. Frankly, I'd, I've got a mortgage. I'd rather have a, a full rate cut. But it wasn't that big a deal. It doesn't really make so much of a difference. And this is where I'm not envious of Glenn Stevens at all. He's, he has got, <laughs> he's got this super important job, but he's really just got this lever. He can go up, down, or just not move it at all. And this is basically what he said in his farewell speech. He basically said, look, talking to the government, yep. guys, help me out here. I've done as much <laughs> as I can. We've dropped and dropped and dropped, and it's just not having any more of an effect. It kind of, we are reaching the limits of what monetary policy can do. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. <laughs> Think, imagine, imagine a big control room, uh, you know, uh, a control room on a, in a nuclear power plant to take the Simpsons analogy or something else. There's all these switches, dials, knobs, you know, options you've got. But what are they doing? The RBA's got one. They've got this big, one big red button. They press the button or they don't press the button. That's mm, it. Yeah. The government's got, you know, it's got, it's got welfare payments. It's got tax refunds. It's got tax rates. It's got infrastructure spending. It's got government, you know, surpluses. Mm. It's got public service. It's got a million different things it can do. Yep. Treasurer Morrison has more dials than he knows what to do with. Right. Glenn Stevens got one big red button that either press or doesn't press. Yeah. And he's pretty much called out Scott Morrison. He said, "Mate, I've been trying to say this for years. In my final speech before I ride off into the sunset." 
for the love of God, will you please do something and don't leave reserve banks across the world? This isn't just mm. an Australian problem, by the mm. way. Will you please not leave me to do all the hard work? Can you please pull your finger out and actually make a difference so I don't have to? Yeah, really just pushing on a piece of string there to some extent, aren't they, the RBA? Oh, look, I mean, you know, rates do absolutely matter. They, mm. they reduce borrowing costs for, for businesses. They reduce borrowing costs for consumers. They, it, does, it does make an impact. Mm. But it's an incredibly blunt tool. Mm. You drop rates, you, you cut rates for savers. If, if, if Our listeners now are, are trying to retire and trying to live on, on savings in the mm. bank or return deposits. Mm. They're getting less and less and less every time there's a rate cut. Yeah. The only people who benefit here are businesses who are borrowing and they're not borrowing much. And mortgage, you know, mortgage owners like me, but I'm, you know, I'm happy with a rate cut, of course. Mm. But it's one decision right across the full economy. Realistically, that you know, the government can do so much more, including, by the way, as, as um, Glenn Sermons basically said, taking on a bit more debt and doing some things that need to be done, stimulate the economy, add construction jobs, add infrastructure projects, make the economy work faster, better, more efficiently. That's kind of the role of government. But there's so much... It's bloody mindedness, frankly, about this austerity thing and government deficits. And I was going to say, you're, what you're, you're saying and Glenn Stevens saying is like, take on more debt. I, I mean, it gets a lot of coverage. Uh, 10 years ago, government debt as a as a function of GDP, our, our total economic output, about 10%. Yep. Now we're at 37%. That is a phenomenal ramp up there. And you're saying, and Glenn Stevens saying, no, I do more of that. That's exactly right. The, that, that, that's, you know, in most contexts, we would say more debt is bad, particularly having gone through credit crunch and all the related problems we saw there. Yeah. Look, let's not support the listeners too much, Andrew, but this is a situation <laughs> where ideology in most cases is trumping practical reality. Yeah. The government should balance the budget over the cycle. It's been the, it's been the Australian official government policy for two decades or more. Mm -hmm. This was John Howard first coming to power in 96 saying, we will balance the budget across the cycle. It's exactly what they should do. Mm -hmm. But, you know... People might have heard of Keynesian economics or Keynesian economics, depending on what school you went to. The idea that governments spend more money and they run deficits in bad times mm -hmm. and they bank surpluses in good times. So overall, you, you, run, out, you run it even. Imagine you and I lost our jobs tomorrow, right? Mm -hmm. We'd still have to spend money. Our mm. personal income statements would be negative because we had nothing coming in. Yep. We'd be spending money on rent and other things. Mm. You'd run a deficit. Yep. In the good times, you get your job back, you get a pay rise. You shouldn't spend everything you've, you know, you get a pay rise of 10 grand, you're not going to spend the 10 grand, you're going to bank some of it because mm -hmm. you want to have some money in case the bad times come. Dry powder. That's what governments are supposed to do. And mm. so, when the economy is running, and Glenn Sturbins is very clearly saying, guys, you need to stimulate the economy. You need to do more to take up the slack from the mining boom. Housing is going to slow down at some point, particularly in new construction. Mm. Glenn Sturbins is saying, guys, come on. Now it's time to run that deficit, not forever, mm. but for now. And spend it. Not, and this is the difference, right? This is not saying put the new dress, the new car, the new handbag, the new computer on the credit card. He's saying, go and invest in stuff that's going to earn you money down the track. Invest in efficient infrastructure projects mm. that make the economy more productive. Mm. It's efficient, equivalent of saying, Spend some money to go and do a course. Go mm. to uni. Go and do a TAFE course. Mm. Do something that increases your future earning potential. Invest. That's smart. Exactly. Mm. That's smart investing. That's smart borrowing. Well, mate. Enough of that. that okay, yeah, I will. It, just, it, you <laughs> know, it, it, it does make me sigh a bit though, doesn't it? Oh, so the RBAs can now. only do so much. The government's not prepared to do anything. You know, we, we've got troubles on the horizon. It reminds me of the old Chinese curse. May you live in interesting times. And, and man, do we live in interesting times. Treasurer Morris, if you won't listen to Glenn Stevens, at least listen to Andrew Page and Scott Fawcett from The Motley Fool. Please go and do some borrowing. Exactly. Motley Fool Money. Financial advice for real people, not trust fund hippies. Sign up for the newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. All right, let's move on, Scott. Let's talk about earnings season. 
Um, we prefaced it uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, very, very busy, important time for us as investors. We get to look under the hood of all Indeed. of our companies. How have they performed? It's not just about share price. What's the business doing? Yep. You know, what's what's their prospects like? So we've had a we've had a whole raft of, of companies come out so far, and uh, we we thought we'd do a bit of a whistle stop tour of some of the bigger names. Rapid fire, let's do it. Rapid fire. Okay, where shall we start? Let's start with the banks. Oh, given we, we were to? we're just talking about them right. here. So, uh, I so the just kept some of my rate cut. You want to talk about them? Well, and you know, CBA, another record profit. Well, it's, hard to, it's hard to hear ish. a result without, without, from a bank without hearing record, isn't it? It is, but you know what? Look a little bit deeper. You know what happened in the last six? So the full year result from Commonwealth Bank was up. Yep. They, they posted a gain, a record profit. Again. In the last six mm-hmm. months, their profit was actually down. You won't read that in the press releases. You no. won't read that in most of the commentary. No. It's a nice free run when you're doing a full year result. You're doing a half year result. You only report on the first half. Right. We do a full year result. The companies don't normally say, here's our second half result. They say, look at our full year. Yes. The Commonwealth Bank's result was negative, And so was the ANZ for the third mm. quarter. Mm. This is the banking sector. I won't say in trouble, but gee, it's tougher times than they used to. Yeah. Partly the reason they kept some of that rate cut, by the way. The banks are really in some growth trouble. Not mm. not financial trouble, not stability trouble, not going to go broke trouble. Mm. Growth is really hard to come by. And in fact, for those big two, growth's been negative recently. Yeah, it's a really interesting one, isn't it? And, and it's also... You know, the, the difficulty here as well is that it's all about dividends for the vast, vast majority of, of bank investors. And there's even talk now that maybe they'll have to cut it. There's new there's new uh, capital requirements that regulators are putting on them. Funding costs are going up. That margin that we were talking about is being squeezed. You know, uh, would you be mining the banks at the moment uh, based on this latest scorecard that we've, we've seen? I'm going to answer your question in one second. I'm going to make a quick point, which is if you look at the big four banks, only one of them, Commonwealth Bank, has increased its share price more than the dividend it paid out over the last 12 months. Right. If you'd have owned Westpac, NAB or ANZ, even after that dividend, mm. you went backwards. Your money, you lost money. Yep. Don't don't put yourself in that position. Share prices aren't. This is not this is not the bank of 10, 20, 30 years ago. These mm. are the banks of today and the banks of tomorrow. Tomorrow is a much tougher environment than 30 years sure ago. Is. Would yeah. I invest in the banks? Absolutely not. I don't invest in any bank shares. And frankly, if you own too many bank shares, listeners, go and sell some of them. Go and fix your portfolio so you're not exposed when the banks do badly, as I think they will. Obviously, consider your personal circumstances, consider your tax circumstances, but these aren't the money-making machines that have been in the past. If you keep believing that, I think you'll be sorely left upset. Mate, that's a bold statement. You know, you're, you're talking to people who over the last couple of decades have just seen phenomenal returns from investing in the banks. I mean, you can't you can't speak to anyone over the age of 45 without them talking, you know, waxing lyrical about how fantastic the banks are, stable, big, reliable, and you're saying get out? I'm saying get out. I'm saying if you get to if you go back to 1980, by all means, buy the banks. Mm. But if you're living in 2016, today right. is not the time to have banks in your portfolio, and certainly not too many banks. Most people have got 30, 40, 50 percent of their portfolio in the banks. That's Man. a really, really dangerous Very. percentage portfolio. No matter what, yeah. but particularly right now, you don't want to be overinvested. Yeah, Can I we think, move on. I think that's a, okay. I think that's a good point. All right, let's move on to something more exciting. All right, uh, oh, is Telstra exciting? Should we talk Telstra? No, exciting. I said okay, we're going to talk Telstra anyway. Oh, okay, Again, fine. it's one of those ones that I think a lot of us have an association with. They came out, here's this for a better number. Talk about growth. 37% increase in profit. Spectacular. How's that? Well, Wait easy. a sec, that's from Telstra too. How do they do that? <laughs> I tell, I, you know how I can, I, I can make a lot of our listeners uh, a half million dollar profit tomorrow. Oh, okay. All you do is sell your house. 
Right. There's a profit right there, right? Yeah, right? Well, this is the story with Telstra, right? That's the story they, with Telstra. They, so they sold Auto Home. They did. They owned Auto Home. They owned a stake in Auto Home, which is a Chinese automotive classifieds business. Yeah. Uh, they the sold car it. sales of China, essentially. They booked a profit of $1.8 billion on that sale. Nice. Uh, in, bear in mind, that's in the context of a $5.8 billion total profit. Mm. So basically, a third of their profit made up with that number. Yep. Funnily enough, that's exactly the sort of gain they delivered. And if you back that out, they actually lost money or didn't lose money. Sorry. The profit fell during the year. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was an interesting one, wasn't it? And it was. So Look, it's a, it's a big company. We know it's a slow grow. Given the, the, the yield that they're supporting, it's probably all you need, really, frankly. <laughs> I mean, I, I, you know, I asked you your opinion on the banks. Is Telstra a buy for you? Yeah, look, I think it is. And the difference is that this is a business that has a bright future ahead of it. Its mobile business is growing well. Its broadband business is growing well. Yep. Its profit's falling because it's losing fixed line customers. They're yep. going somewhere else. Yep. That's clouding the result. I think Telstra in 10 years' time is going to deliver a market-beating return. It's not going to be spectacular. It's not going to shit the lights out. Yep. But if you want a solid income-paying market beater, I think Telstra's a great place to invest your money. We better, we better touch on very quickly this money that they got from Auto Home. They're going to return pretty much all of that to shareholders. Yep. And they're going to do that by way of a buyback. So this is where the company buys back your shares. $1.5 billion worth. And then the tears them up. Correct. And, and the end result of that is that those who keep their shares, well, their proportional ownership has just increased. And about $1.5 billion, about 2% more of the company you will own as a result of it. Give or take. Look, a buyback's a really good strategy if you've got an undervalued shares and you can buy them back at a decent price. Yep. Um, Telstra is going to be very clever and spend most of that $1.5 billion buying back off market. This is not the place to go into those horrible details. They're going to pay less than the market price. $1.78 in capital gains or capital, capital value. value, I should no, that was, say. Yeah, that's right. So if, you, if you're getting $1.78 in capital for the shares that you're going to sell back for $5.50, bucks 5 bucks 40 you're going to bank a huge capital loss, which in theory you can offset against your tax. Nice. And by the way, the rest is in a fully franked dividend, which you can also use. Ranking credits, to, ka-ching. Ranking credits yep. are always good yep. to, to increase your, your tax benefits. So you can actually sell off market and make more money than if you sold on market. The details are really confusing. Don't worry about it. We won't try to explain I'll wrap it a bow on it quickly. You're basically saying this is a great company. You're looking for income. Look, yep. it's, it's never going to triple in a year. It's not that kind of company, Correct. but something for the bottom draw, reliable market beating returns with a good healthy dividend. It's great. But if you were looking at a very tax-effective way to take some cash off the table, the buyback's the way to do it. Perfect. Good better soon. Okay. Let's talk about something a bit sexier. Let's talk about the new era type stocks. Hey, hey. What about something like car sales and Seek? They had some pretty good numbers, didn't they? Uh, close. Car sales and REA were out, oh, I'm the, sorry. were out during the week. So car sales, the automotive classifieds business, REA group owns realestate.com and a whole lot of websites overseas. Mm. Um, these are two of the absolute superstars of the classifieds era, the post-newspaper era, we can call it. Um, REA dominate online real estate. Car sales absolutely dominate online automotive classifieds, car classifieds. These guys are doing a spectacular job. Now, here's the funny thing. If you own a classifieds business, you can mint money. Mm. If you don't believe me, listen to this. REA managed no increase in listings during the year. In other words, mm -hmm. the same number of ads this year as last year, effectively zero, yet revenue went up 15%. Yeah. And that's purely, they got more people to pay more money for the same things. We're going to charge you more. Right, exactly. Well, they also, and they, they sold them great display advertising and priority listings. And yep. they found lots of different ways to basically convince people mm -hmm. to pay them more to sell their houses online. You want volume growth, of course. Like No business can survive without getting some sort of growth, more customers, more users, more advertisers, more sellers, something like that. But gee, I'll tell you what, if you can get a 15% revenue boost on the back of no additional listings, uh, no, no more customers effectively, that's a really nice business. And if you don't believe that you know these, what we call network effects, the more sellers mean more buyers, more buyers mean more sellers, and so on and so forth, a really virtuous circle. Mm. This, that is exactly, very, very exactly, you know, there's no other business in the country that I think you could put a 15% effective price increase through a year on year and get that money. REA have done that and more. They're just doing a spectacular job of monetizing effectively a captive audience. You've got, you've got to love companies with pricing power, or at least as an investor, less so as a, as a consumer, I suppose, of <laughs> exactly. their products. 
but ask, ask the banks. But um, yeah, okay, that's great. It's great that you can put prices up. Um, you know, it's great if you can cut costs out. That's all wonderful kind of stuff. But if you're not growing, you know, the number of customers, yep. it, it, is the era of growth over? There's only so much blood you can squeeze from a, so, a stone in those those ways. I, do we need to be worried? Because they're trading at pretty lofty multiples. Yeah, they both are really. Look, I, and, and frankly, car sales uh, unit growth wasn't great either. I, the Australian, the, the days of Australian huge growth are over. You know, they've, they've captured the market. These guys Is dominate that the one-off structural shift from from print to it's online. online. Yeah, but they'll still they'll, they'll get they'll get small amounts of volume increases. They'll get small amounts of price increases, mm -hmm. and they're going overseas. They're getting growth overseas, which is just a spectacular way to grow. Early days for both companies. Um, REA bought iProperty, the Asian uh, property listings business. Mm, Car right. sales are moving into South and Central America, doing that's a great right. job there. The, these will be much, much more important businesses to those guys. And you mentioned Seek, Andrew, before. Seek has done a spectacular job of getting growth overseas. Car sales, REA following in its footsteps. Mm. And I think that's another leg of growth that really has a decade or more to play out. Okay, so for you, buy the buy these companies. I buy both them, real estate and car sales, absolutely. Nice one. Looks, we better wrap it up there. There's there's two thousand other companies we could talk about their results. I don't think you or I have the patience, or our listeners have our the listeners patience. Certainly, for have that. the patience to hear us bang on for another um, half now. Yeah, but some of the highlights there. Listen, fools. I hope you've enjoyed this week's podcast. Remember, you can subscribe to Triple M's Motley Fool Money through iTunes or your favorite Android podcast app, and of course at triplem.com.au forward slash podcasts. My name's Andrew Page. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Scott. And I'm Scott Phillips. Thank you, Andrew. Full on. Full on. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.